If you have a question about the Bible, or you ever wonder about God, some aspect of what God would have you do in your life, then you've come to the right place. We're so glad you're here. This is Open Line with Dr. Michael Rodelnik, Moody Radio's Bible study across America, and we are across America. And the number for you to call in and be a part of the program today is 877-548-3675. Jot it down. If you never called, today's a great day to call 877-548-3675. And if you think this doesn't sound like Michael Wright, Delnick, this sounds like Mike Fabares. You're right. This is me. And you just need to know that Michael Wright Delnick is doing just fine. Sometimes he's out because he's dealing with some uh, issues here and there in his health or his family. But I'm just happy to say he's doing well today, at least as of half an hour ago. And um, he's out at a speaking engagement. You know, they've got to have Dr. Wright Delnick out there uh, speaking and giving his wisdom in many venues. And so he's out there doing that. And then I am sitting in, have the privilege to be here today, back with you again as the guest on this great program, which I love hosting. It is so great to talk to you. And that's the only way this program works is when you give us a call, 877-548-3675. We want you to open up your Bibles if you're able to do that. If you're driving down the highway there, don't do that. But if you are able to do it, I want to be able to address whatever your question might be about God, about the Bible, about your Christian life. And uh, maybe you should know I am the pastor of Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo, California. Happened to be a graduate of Moody Bible Institute, for which I am so grateful that my parents said, you're going there whether you like it or not. And I went. And at first, I got to tell you, I didn't like it, only because I didn't want to study the Bible. But man, it only took just a a week or two to say, this is the place I've got to be. And I enjoyed my education there at Moody. I'm so grateful to be um, someone who can say that God used Moody Bible Institute and Moody Radio and Moody Publishers to do great things in my life. And I'm so thrilled that God used that uh, avenue of, of blessing and education and challenge and sharpening my life. And now I can't believe it, but here I am hosting this show. And uh, it is a thrill to do that. And the host I normally am every weekday here on this network is Focal Point. Perhaps you've heard me, and uh, I'm glad if you have. That program has been a blessing as well. We get so many letters, so many calls, so many emails from people that tell us that they are being challenged to think more crisply and cleanly about the Bible. That's what we want to do. That was a phrase, by the way, from the Puritans. They like to talk about clean, being a cleanly understanding God's Word, and I hope that we've allowed you to do that. Got a few books out, one recently by Moody Publishers on Envy. Hope if you're struggling with some internal bit bitterness toward people. You might pick that book up. Envy, a big problem you didn't know you had, and I know Moody is doing a lot to make sure people know that's out there as an option for them to read. But today, we're answering your questions, and the number to call again, 877-548-3675. And if you think, I'm too scared to get on the radio with you, Pastor Mike, well, then I'm going to say there's another way to do it. You can go to our website. If you go to our open line website, it's openlineradio.com. O-R-G. And if you go on that website, you'll see a little section there called Ask Michael a Question, and you can send us your Bible question right through that website. You don't have to get on the radio if you don't want to, although I'd love for you to talk to me on the radio today. That's the, that's the joy of the program, is being able to interact with you on the phone. If you can do that, that'd be great. But if not, if there's a reason you can't get on the phone today, but you want to 
get your question into us. We'll get you in the queue there for our mailbag section, which is a great time for us to talk through what you have been thinking about. we got a great production team here, as we always do at Open Line. Makes it possible. Trish McMillan is producing. We've got all that technical production. Uh, Bob Moreau is working on that. And Laura uh, Markham is answering your phone. So Laura is the friendly voice that you'll hear if you call. That's the first voice that will pick up the phone if there's a line open. And uh, to get in that queue, you got to go to 877-548-3675. So I hope you're ready today because we're going to open up God's Word and we've already got calls coming in, which is the great thing about this program. You're, you're on it before we ever start it, which is wonderful. So without any further ado, we want to go and talk to Donna. Donna, you're on the air today and from West Palm Beach talking to Mike Fabares on Open Line. How can I help? Thank you so much. God bless you and your entire staff. My question, I would like clarification, please, between Theotokos, Mother of God, and Christ Bearer. Um, I heard a, a bit of a program on Moody Radio, and the gentleman clarified. He said, no, she's not Mother of God. She's Christ Bearer. And I just would appreciate your input on that. Okay, well, you know that the uh, Roman Catholic Church has built an entire theology around exalting and venerating Mary. And and let's just start with yeah. this, because when we talk about the Mother of God, right, that, that could be probably the most uh, exalting term that you could give someone, as though she is the originator in some way, or at least uh, some kind of, of accelerated view of Mary that has led to the veneration, which I mean the, the appropriate worship of God, um, through in the sense that she is the God-bearer, that Mary becomes an object of worship, which I should just say, all you have to do is read the New Testament to realize how that would be such a bizarre thing for the Church to realize hundreds of years later that she is to be the object of our worship, because um, there's no mention of Mary, after, except in the Gospels, and she is obviously hailed as a very important person who God is honoring with the wonderful privilege of being able to raise Jesus the Messiah, uh, but we have no discussions of her throughout any of the epistles. We don't have anybody saying, well, this is an important part of our worship. Um, And and I'll just quote here. I just opened up the Catechism of the Catholic Church, section 493, and and it speaks of Mary as the mother of God, right? That's the Theotokos. She's bearing God, the all-holy Right? We are to celebrate her as free from any stain of sin, fashioned by the Holy Spirit, formed a new creature. By the grace of God, Mary remains free from every personal sin her whole life long. And when you start adding labels like that, even though Mary cried out yeah. uh, to God and needing a Redeemer and a Savior, obviously Jesus was going to be her Redeemer, the agency of a Redeemer. So to say that she is, just to clarify, she's not the mother of God, as it says in section 493 of the Catechism, but she, she was bearing the Messiah, the Messiah that was going to be born of the seed of Abraham through David, the son of David. He's going to inherit, the, obviously, the throne of David and the extent of his government would know no end, as Isaiah 9 says, but we can't cannot say with some titles that we continue to pile on the earthly, sinful, yes. fallen Mary who needs a Savior, the mother of God. And it's just a careful distinction that is sometimes made to recognize that, yes, she did 
bear the human Jesus, who of course is God in human form, but the second person of the Godhead, it is more appropriate, more accurate uh, to say she is the bearer of Christ and not the mother of God. It's just helpful, even though we're not taking away from the deity of, of Jesus Christ, and it's just trying to help people that have run away with a kind of veneration and worship of Christ, and Protestants are trying to say, please, don't go there, and if any of the phrases will help for us to be focused on the fact that she is the mother of Christ, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, of course, but she's not the mother of God in some absolute sense, because when you get there, you'll start echoing things like Mother Teresa says, that she is the co-redemptrix, uh, the, the, the mediator, advocate of us before the Father, that's why we're to pray to her. Uh, we just cannot go there in this doctrine, and Mary would be uh, uh, abhorred at, at the thought of us doing that or venerating her to that place or saying in our doctrine that she is sinless. So we just want to say she is the mother of the God-man Jesus Christ, but uh, I do think the preferred phrase would be she's the bearer of Jesus, Jesus Christ. Okay, Does that... it was a phrase. All right. My dissertation was on the Jewishness of Mary, and my whole point was as a Jewish woman, she would be abhorred about the things being done in her name and the reverence being given to her, which belongs to Jesus. Absolutely. Yeah. You're 100% right. That dissertation needs to be read because it is abhorrent to her. As a Jew, you can imagine the blasphemous feeling she would feel to hear that she is being said to be sinless and that she is to be exalted and venerated. And, and it's just absolutely um, beyond thinking that Mary would ever uh, accept that. She was a humble woman, and she was one who was uh, honored by the Lord, just like Job, just like Daniel, just like so many others that are seen as blameless people in their generation. But it doesn't mean they're are sinless. It just means that they are people that God is entrusting special opportunities to, and in this case, one of the most special opportunities. And yet, if the rest of the New Testament were saying something more about her, then we would take that. But that is not what the New Testament says. Uh, the New Testament focuses on Jesus Christ, not on Mary. And so that's very important for us to know. Donna, thanks for the call. So helpful. I hope that dissertation uh, was just a blessing for you to write. I hope people are reading that, and uh, we really appreciate that. Let's head out to Schaumburg, Illinois. Uh, Estelle, you're on the air with Mike Fabares here sitting in for Dr. Rydelnik. How can I help? Hi, good morning, Mike. Thank you for having me on. Um, yes. My, my question is, is about heaven and like, will we be able to travel outside of heaven? And, and I had a question uh, doing Bible study about the gates, about how it describes the gates and everything. And I just wondered, you know, uh, why were they needed uh, in heaven? And will we be able to travel outside of heaven like Jesus, Jesus yes. did? Well, and let's just remember that we will that need. Let's remember that the promise of the book of Revelation, uh, chapters 20, 21, and 22, is that heaven will be on earth because God will make his dwelling among men. So we know that Jesus, the glorified Christ, will be in the center of the new Jerusalem, which will be a very real place. Uh, you'll think of it only as heaven insofar as God will not be distant. We will not be praying to God as though he's distant up in heaven, right? God's glory is manifested in Jesus Christ because he's the second person of the Godhead glorified on earth, and he will lead us. So 
there will be a city. It's a huge city. It takes up like three quarters of, of the United States if you were to place that dimension on our continent. And we recognize that is the center of the new earth. And there'll be nations all over the earth, but there will be the center of it that will have a designation with walls and gates. And that is how it's described. It's going to feel very much like earth, only without all the sin and without any of the fatigue, without any of the dirtiness of, of sin and, and moral corruption. It is going to be a beautiful place, but it will feel like earth, only perfected, and that is what we're looking forward to. Uh, heaven is a place, a dimension of some kind, where God the Father dwells in unapproachable light, as First uh, Timothy chapter 6 says. We are going to be dwelling here on a place with fingernails and eyelashes and elbows, and we will enjoy it for eternity. But it will have gates, and it will have walls, but the Bible's very clear. The gates will always be open, and people will come in and out, and the nations will bring their glory to the capital of this new earth where righteousness dwells, to quote First Timothy, I'm sorry, First Peter chapter 3. So I hope that helps, Estelle, and we will be there together, Lord willing. If your trust is in Christ, then mine is too. We'll catch up there, and we'll talk more about what our views were on this side, and when we finally get there, we'll recognize just how concrete, tangible, beautiful, and wonderful the place is. I don't know if we're ever going to get to heaven after we come from heaven to inhabit this new earth, because God dwells there. Angelic beings worship him there. We are going to be here, and I don't know if we're going to get to heaven after our resurrection and in, uh, implantation here on this new righteous earth, uh, but we're going to be able to move around in it. That's what the Bible says, and the gates will always be open. The sun will never set. You'll never get tired. It will be day perpetually. It will be a beautiful, beautiful place, and I look forward to it, Estelle, and I appreciate your question. It's so great to have you call us, and that is how you get on the program, 877-548-3675. I'm sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik today. You're listening to Open Line on Moody Radio. We want you to give us a call, 877-548-3675. Seven, five, and we're going to be back right after this. For some people, reading the Bible may feel scary. Where do I start? How will I ever get anything out of it? Living by the Book will help you. It's a user-friendly guide that will teach you how to read God's Word with understanding, from Genesis to Revelation. Give a gift today, and we'll be happy to send you a copy. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. Welcome back to Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik. I'm Mike Fabares sitting in on the program today. We'd love to have you give us a call and be a part of the program today. And we have that number for you, 877-548-3675. Let's get back to the phones now. John in Chattanooga, Tennessee. Love that place. John, how can I help? Yes, thank you, Dr. Mike. Uh, And I apologize because I do not have my Bible in front of me because I'm driving. But in in one of the Gospels, uh, the account of the crucifixion, where it, when it talks about Jesus being buried, and then the people saw that basically dead people arose when Jesus was placed into the ground or into the tomb. And my question has always been, what happened to those dead people? Like, did they were they alive from from then on out, or? Were they just alive for the day and then got reburied? I know it's a very trivial question, but I've always been 
curious about that. Well, I don't think any question about the Bible is is ultimately trivial, and this one in particular because it's a miracle. This is Matthew twenty seven you're talking about, and Matthew, uh, in verse yes, yes. yeah verse fifty it speaks about Jesus not being buried but dying. When he dies on the cross, he cries out with a loud voice. I'm I'm reading now from Matthew twenty seven verse fifty. He yields up his spirit, and behold, verse fifty one, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. That's an amazing miracle, very symbolic of the fact that now because Christ had died, we have access to the Father through his paid penalty for our sin. And then it says, the earth shook and the rocks were split and the tombs were opened and many bodies of the saints who had fallen asleep were raised and coming out of the tombs after his resurrection, they went into the holy city, that's Jerusalem, and appeared to many. Right now, that's an, that's yeah. all it says. Right, and then we're on to the centurion and all the rest. But that's an amazing statement, right? Like here are people coming out. Yeah. We think, wow, is this are this like zombies here or what, what's going on? All I would say is, if this were the glorification of the body, of the resurrection of the sort that's going to take place in, as it says in 1 Corinthians 15, the kind that we will experience when Christ is dispatched to get us and the dead in Christ rise first, they're going to be glorified, then I'm going to say, we would have these people still around. Either that or there would be an ascension of every last one of them because they would no longer be subject to death. But that doesn't happen. So I'm going to say this has to be resurrections much like Lazarus's, where you have uh, the, the, the revived human life of a fallen body that is going to get diseased and later going to die, just like Lazarus. I mean, he had to die twice. That's a bummer. Uh, but he he was raised from the dead after four days in the tomb. So I'm going to say these people, I don't know how long they were dead, but God miraculously brought them to life as a sign, much like that torn temple veil, that God had accomplished something not only to pay for our sins, but also to purchase our resurrection. It was symbolic only in the sense that I don't think that they were uh, glorified. I could be wrong. And if I was, well, then there has to be the sense that they 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 were ascended. They had to ascend. Either that or they'd still be around and they'd be in the Guinness Book of Records and we would know of the people that are 2,000 plus years old at this point. But they, they, they're not. They're not around. So we have to say these are um, resurrections of the sort of the first order. It's the first kind of... of um, resurrections that we see throughout the Bible, there's not many of them, less than 10 of them, uh, all the way back to Elijah and Elisha, where we see bodies coming back to life when they were thoroughly dead. That's a miracle, but it's the kind of miracle that's different and distinct from the miracle when we get an eternally revived body where it's never subject to death again. Why doesn't the Bible say what happened to these people? Well, we got more important things, I suppose, than what happened to Lazarus and talking about the second time he died. We don't even know that. Uh, we We don't know. Uh, what happened or when they died or how long they lived. Did they live just for the weekend? Did they live for, you know, 20, 30 more years? Did they get reunited with their families? I'm assuming they did. I don't think Jesus uh, or God in his plan here, you know, resurrected people that have been dead for a thousand years. I think these people probably were people that went back to their homes and people were astonished that they were resurrected. Were they followers of Christ? Perhaps they were. We don't know. It just says they were raised. Uh, and it says many, many bodies of the saints. So I don't know. Uh, I don't think it could be thousands or uh, surely there would be some mention of them elsewhere in the scripture, even though it's not the central theme of the scripture. It would just be too hard to ignore. And uh, so it must have been 
many in the sense that there were several among the saints in Jerusalem that were buried, and then they entered into the city because they never buried them within the city walls. They buried them outside the city walls. And so this was a miraculous sign just to put an exclamation point on the fact that Jesus' death was the propitiation for our sins, makes us right before God, and promises our future resurrection. But beyond that, it's a head-scratcher, and I'm with you, John, on that. It, it does make you pause and go, what happened there? Well, what happened there is what it says. What happened to them after? We don't know because the Bible doesn't record it. That's the best I can say on that, John. Does that help a little bit? Absolutely. Thank you, Dr. Mike. That was awesome. Okay. All right. Thanks, John, for the call. Let's go to Karen now in Idaho. Let's uh, hear from you from KMBI. Uh, how can I help today? You're on with Mike Fabares. Hi. Thank you so much for taking my call. Uh, I have read several places in the New Testament where it says if you uh, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved, or trust in the Lord and you will be saved. The will be bothers me. I don't know if it continued to believe and eventually you'll be saved, or if it means if you believe and trust now you're saved. I'm just wondering about that. Right. Well, let's look right now at your neighbor, and let's look at you. If your neighbor, Karen, is a non-Christian, if I ask, is your neighbor saved, uh, you would say, well, no, she's not saved. Well, that means she is not saved in any way in a relationship with Christ before God that she will be delivered from the coming wrath of God. To quote Romans chapter 2, Right? The reality is she is not saved from that event yet, but she is living a life that seems like, well, she's not suffering for her sins in, in hell. So in that sense, right, we don't have the full picture of what it looks like to be saved until she hears, if she continues in her unbelief, depart from me, I never knew you, and you here enter into the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. So the, the act of salvation, even though it's legally accomplished now because you, Karen, have trusted in Jesus Christ, we would say, you're saved. You're saved from what? From a coming judgment, and the judgment is not here yet. That's why even in Scripture, if you look at uh, Romans chapter 8, uh, it speaks so clearly about the fact that we're saved in hope, and hope if we already have it, I'm quoting verse 25, uh, then it's not hope at all. But the hope that we have, I guess it's verse 24 now that I open my Bible and look at it. For, for in this hope we were saved, hope that is seen is not hope. If we already have it, right, what in the world, is, it wouldn't be hope. For we hope, who, who hopes in what he sees, right? That's right before him. But if we hope, now verse 25, for what we do not see, we wait for it with patience. And the context is we're waiting for eagerly, verse 23, the redemption of our bodies. We're waiting for, as it says earlier, the freedom of the glory of the children of God when the earth no longer has a curse and we're in a, in a new world where righteousness dwells. So that hasn't happened yet. So in that sense, I can say rightly, I was saved 2,000 years ago on a cross when Christ paid for my sin. I can say I was saved, and I remember where I was saved. I was saved in the dorm room at Moody Bible Institute when I was a freshman. I was saved then, and that means my, my name was written in the Lamb's Book of Life, and God said, right, you have responded to the gospel, and you are now my adopted child. And then I can say, I'm not yet saved because I'm not saved yet from the coming judgment because it hasn't happened yet, right? It is appointed a man once to die, and then comes the judgment. That day is coming. So you can rightly say, I was saved in the past, I am saved right now, and I will be saved in the future. These are aspects of the, of the salvation work that God does. And I would really say, just to get into Romans chapter 8, verses 18 through 25, it reminds us that the glory is going to be revealed to us when we are saved from the judgment that we deserve. We don't, we're not, 
there's no condemnation for those in Christ. That's how it starts in Romans 8. Well, when does the common condemnation come for the world, right? It comes when they die and face the judgment. We haven't faced that yet. So in, in a sense, your neighbor could be having a better life than you, right? Maybe they're richer and healthier, and they got everything going for them, and think, wow, they seem pretty saved right now. Well, they are saved by God's grace in the fact that the judgment has not yet come for them. But are they saved? Are they a, a card-carrying child of God? Do they have that that forensic and legal declaration that they are justified? And the answer is no. Well, in that sense, you're not saved. Well, I am saved. Well, our lives look similarly peaceful. We're not in hell. I get that. But one day, right, if you are not saved now, legally declared righteous, then you will not be saved when you face your maker. So we need to, as the old, you know, sandwich board guy with the bell walking down the street in New York used to say, right, we have to prepare to meet our maker, because that's when we'll see in very real terms, whether we're saved or not. Well, of course, we can know that now. That's what the Bible says. I've written these things to you so you may know that you have eternal life. I have it, but I haven't taken hold of it yet. Does that help, Karen? It does, yeah. I really appreciate that. It it, it does a lot. Thank well, you that, so much for taking yeah. my call. Karen, I love the question because it, you're reading your Bible carefully. We certainly encourage that here on the program. That's what we want. And when you see that future tense about being saved, we got to think, in what mm-hmm. sense is it future? And, and, and ask that great question. And I bet there's so many people listening haven't given that much thought, and your question has allowed us to underscore that. So, Karen, thank you so much for listening. And keep listening to the program and, and keep being a part of it whenever you have a question. And we love to have you call in. My name, Dr. Mike Fabara, is sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik. Uh, we have a great show here planned for you. we got the mailbag that is coming up. You're listening to Open Line on Moody Radio, and we do hope that you are excited about the rest of our program. There's so many things that we want to talk about, so much coming up in the mailbag. I'm looking here at a list of questions uh, that are coming in that Trish McMillan is going to bring in. She's going to haul that big bag of mail over her shoulder and drag it here in and start reading so that we can answer your questions. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll be back right after this. Each weekend on Open Line with me, Dr. Michael Radelnik, we study the scriptures around our radio kitchen table. You can become a kitchen table partner through your monthly support of Open Line. Your gifts help me to provide biblical answers to questions that many believers have about the Savior, the scriptures, and the spiritual life. Along with other partners, you're helping people receive guidance from God's Word. Become a kitchen table partner today. Call 888-644-7122 or go to openlineradio.org. We're so glad that FEBC partners with Open Line with Dr. Michael Radelnik, bringing the FEBC mailbag every week. Learn how Far East Broadcasting Company is taking Christ to the world at febc.org. On their weekly podcast, Until All I've Heard with Ed Cannon, you'll hear stories of lives changed by Messiah all across the globe. Again, you can hear the podcast when you visit febc.org. That's febc.org. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Dr. Mike Fabares filling in today for Dr. Michael Rydelnik, who is out speaking somewhere. He's sharing his pearls of wisdom and all of his experience, and he is expositing the Bible somewhere. But we are here, working away, 
at the mailbag. It is the mailbag segment, and we're answering your questions that you've sent in to us, which is great. And joining me today with those questions, as she always does, is Trish McMillan. Good morning, Trish. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. How are good. you? It's, it's good yeah. to have you here. Well, it's good to be here. Do you have a big bag of mail? I do. You want to sort through? Well, what yes. has surfaced to the top of that All bag? All right. Well, our first question is from a listener on Instagram who is looking at Mark 331. Does that mean he's cool because he's listening on Instagram? <laughs> cool this, is, this is a hip, I don't know if we hip listen. youngster. <laughs> I don't know if we listen on Instagram, but but um, okay. wrote a question on Instagram at least, okay. Which, okay. which you can find us there. We only joined Instagram last summer. We're getting with the young kids. We're getting with it. <laughs> I know. That's so well, good. I think there are other places. <laughs> it took me a while to get on Instagram. But we're there and on Facebook where you can follow us, which you can leave questions there. I do check those places as well as the email. Um, there's a form if that's easier to fill out your Bible questions. Um, it just says, ask Michael a question. You can fill out that form. It'll send it right to the email box. Um, otherwise, I do check the Facebook and the Instagram for questions as well. But so this listener wrote on Instagram and says, Mark 331 says, and his referring to Jesus and his mother and his brothers came and standing outside, they sent to him and called him. Um, I know someone who does not believe that Jesus had siblings and says the word brother in Hebrew actually means cousin and not brother. Do you believe Jesus had at least one brother? Um, and then they use the verse Matthew one twenty five, where it says Mary had her firstborn son, which seems to imply that there was a second if you have a first. Otherwise, you would just say it's your only son. So did Jesus have brothers and or sisters? Yes. Next question. <laughs> no, no, it's clearer than that. And I would go to Matthew chapter 13, because in Matthew chapter 13, uh, it couldn't be clear. And, and, and you, you can play word games all you want, but you've got to go back to why this is a concern, why some believe it, right? I mean, we've already had a question about Mary from someone who wrote a dissertation on it in her education, and we need to understand that the veneration, the continual exalting of Mary started, I mean, just through the acts of the of the Roman Catholic Church, saying well, we can pray to her in about 600 AD, uh, sinless, and, and the immaculate conception that she didn't even uh, start her life in a normal, natural way. That was not until the 19th century. Um, the assumption of Mary wasn't even until, you know, the 20th century that these doctrines were added by the Catholic Church. And one of the things they always uh, have taught, not always, but they have added to their list of things to say she is special is that she has a perpetual virginity. She has never had any natural human relations uh, after, I mean, she's never, zero, right? She's a virgin Mary, they call her. Well, Matthew 13, verse 54, he comes to his hometown, which is Capernaum. That was his base of operations in Galilee. Uh, and they were astonished at his wisdom. And in verse 55, he says, well, wait a minute, this is the carpenter's son. Is not his, his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? Are not all of his sisters with us? Okay, so you've got at least six siblings right there. Right? You've got James, you've got Joseph, you've got Simon, and you've got Judas. This is not Judas, by the way, Iscariot. That's a different Judas. But these are his brothers, and at least two sisters, and maybe more. Not all. It says, are not all of his sisters with us? They live right here in this town. So we know uh, that he is uh, in a family, a large family, and that Joseph and Mary continue in the natural course of growing a family. And, um, you know, even when he's in that 12-year-old scene, 
in, when he goes to Jerusalem, and, and they're not even sure you know, where he's at. I, I just think here is the most responsible older brother, probably they thought with other un- uncles and aunts, and they lost track of him, but he's a part of a big family, a big family, a big extended family, and uh, I just think it couldn't be clearer in uh, Matthew chapter 13. They, they use the word adelphos. Uh, this is the Greek word for brothers. You could use a different word. There's a Greek word for cousin. That's not what this is. This, these are his brothers, his half-brothers, of, of course, because Jesus didn't come into the world the way that his brothers did or his sisters. But he has brothers, four named, and sisters, plural. They weren't named in that passage, but of course, yes, he had, he had half-brothers and half-sisters. Okay. All right. Thank you for that. Um, thank you for that question, too. Um, our next question is from Deborah, uh, who wrote us on Facebook and says, The Bible talks about the time when believers will be taken up with Jesus and the rapture, at the rapture. Is this considered his second coming? Because there's also a time when Jesus returns to set up his kingdom, which you talked about in the millennial reign. So wouldn't that then be a third coming? So can you yeah. clear up the confusion on this? Right. It's, it's much like the phrase day of the Lord. We speak of the coming of the Lord, right? The day of the Lord is a series of events. It doesn't happen in 24 hours, and all we have to do is read all the events that take place in the book of Revelation to say, yeah, this is clearly coming in a series of events. And so it is with the coming of the Lord. His coming really is not only just to set his feet down on the Mount of Olives as he does in Revelation chapter 19, promised in Zechariah chapter 14. Uh, Of course, his feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives, the the mountain's going to split in half, and we're going to start this period of time that we believe to be the millennial kingdom. But uh, he's coming to get his church and meet them in the air. And and so his feet don't touch the ground, but he's going to meet the church in the air. He's going to take up the bodies of those who have trusted in him, and we're going to have the resurrection of those who have trusted in Christ. We're going to have the taking up of the church that that exists at that time. As it says in 1 Corinthians 15, their resurrection will be in a twinkling of an eye. They will be changed. And then we're going to have, even as it says in Revelation chapter 6, the coming of the Lamb in the wrath that is coming. I'll quote it here. I just opened it up. Revelation chapter 6 verse 16. They're saying, fall on us and hide us from the face of him who is seated on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb for the great day of their wrath has come. So yes, Jesus is coming to get his church, meet them in the air. Jesus is then coming upon the earth to bring wrath upon the earth. As it says in Romans chapter 2, his wrath is going to be spent. He's coming in wrath. But then of course he comes physically, bodily, with the saints in Revelation 19 to touch his feet on the Mount of Olives and to bring judgment to those who have surrounded Israel and to set up the millennial kingdom that was promised in the Old Testament. So he's coming, 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 coming in a series of events that we know is going to take at least seven years uh, for him to accomplish until he sets up the kingdom. And then we're going to say he's even going to come in the sense that the great white throne judgment at the end of the millennial kingdom, uh, he's going to come in that sense, and he's going to bring this new heavens and new earth to, to in, into reality where we can live on this place where Jesus is ruling and reigning forever. So yeah, the coming is a series of events. And uh, I would say think clearly in these three terms. He's coming to get his church, he's coming to judge the world, and he's coming then to set up the kingdom in Revelation 19. So uh, several stages to that coming, I would say. So so it's not five comings. It's It's all the second coming, but they're just different phases? Or is it when... Okay. Yeah, because even if I said, when did Jesus come? When was his first coming? When would you say? 
His birth. Most people you'd say his birth. But I <laughs> right. would say, no, he, he really came in Nazareth when he was in the womb of Mary. I mean, technically, okay. he came then, right? And yeah. then you think, well, yeah, but he kind of really came when he <laughs> when he breathed his first breath in, in Bethlehem. So if you want to get into the details, right, we understand the way that, that we're saying it. First coming, second coming, we're speaking in general categories. And then we look at the details of Scripture. We know he didn't just show up and materialize one day in Bethlehem. No, he had been developing for, for nine months. And so it is with the second coming. Yeah, he's coming with a series of events, and, and, and we just know that, that that's a series of comings in three major categories. I like to think about it. he's coming to get his church, coming to judge the world, which is, you know, the expressions of his judgment, and then he's coming physically to set up a kingdom. So, yeah, he's, there's a series of events, and we should give God clearly the latitude to do whatever he wants, and I think that's how we read the Scripture, that he's coming, and I'm going to say, hey, you said you were coming. Like, that, that sounds like a one thing. Well, just like somebody coming into a new house, um, you may come and check it out, come and sign the papers, come with your U-Haul truck, come with the, you know, the, the, the couch through the front door. There's a series of things to come into this new house. So we're not going to hold God to this word and say, you can't come more than once in the second coming, right? You can't have several installments of this. Just like when you say, I came to live in this house, well, there were several things about your coming. And if you get into the details, you'll see, uh, you know, it's not just one day or one event. There's a series of events in God's eschatological prophetic plan. Hmm. Okay. All right. Well, thank you for that. You're I'm welcome for that. On that one. <laughs> I can hear your wheels uh-huh. are turning, Trish. I know, and they're I know. going the grind. You would need to oil those cogs. They're, yeah. they're grinding. Yes. That, did, did you follow that? Or are you with did, me on that? I did follow uh-huh. it, yes. Um, okay. And I think what I'm what I'm wondering is like you know you'll hear people who are like come Lord Jesus like what like as a prayer or they'll say you know they're they're looking ahead to the second coming which I think I've always thought of as the final coming right. because like with the with the come to get the church he doesn't actually land on the earth right 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 <laughs> so he's no, like that's right. only halfway down is my perception of that. Um, but I think when and I'm with I, you on that. When I, I would say that, Trish. Okay. I mean, it, that is the technical, like, coming of Christ, the official coming when his toenails touch the dirt on the Mount of Olives. That, that's the technical, that's, that's the proper coming of Christ. But I just tried to illustrate it with yeah. his birth, right? right? When did he come? When he right. cried the first time, when he came out, when he was halfway out? When he, I mean, yeah, he came, but he had already been on earth, materialized here for nine months. Right. In an embryonic stage. So, yeah, of course, I'm, I'm going to agree. When is the technical <laughs> second coming of Christ? Zechariah 14, which parallels to, to Revelation 19. His feet are going to touch the Mount of Olives. That's the technical, formal coming of Christ. But there's a series of things, even as I quoted Revelation 6, right? The wrath of the Lamb has come. He's expressing his wrath. He's coming in judgment for seven years. Right. Even So, so in a sense... Okay, so I am a mother of three children that I have birthed. And so, like, the labor starts, um, you know, like I had pre-labor and different things where it was kind of this week-long thing or plus of my body getting ready. But the actual birth was a separate event, but the labor leads up to it. So that kind of idea where there's kind of this 
Matt, you're just making this more confusing. Well, well no, that's not bad. If you think about even the nausea. I had someone just tell me they were expecting a child and they're nauseous mm-hmm. and sick. Okay, well, th- that's the coming of their child. That's yeah. all a part of it. Yeah. Right? But they're not yeah. going to hold that baby for another, you know, six, seven months. Right. So, yeah, there is a series of events with the coming of a child. There's a series of events with you coming into a new house, and there's a series of events with the coming of Christ. But when does he actually come? Like in the sense you're saying, well, now, technically he's right. here. Well, he's here when he touches the ground. When do I when do I hit the stopwatch or hit the yeah hit the stop yeah. on the stopwatch? Okay, and now, no, it's, now it's happening. No one's going to be doing that. But <laughs> yes, I mean we're going to let God play this out yes. the way that He does, yes. and it's going to be in a series of events. Yes. Thank you. That okay. yes, right. I think and now I'm tracking with you a little better. So thank right. you, Deborah, That's for that good. question and for that thorough answer. I appreciate it. Well, very good. Well, is, are we out of time? I think did, we are. Yeah. Did we, we only do two? Oh, we did. Man. I can't believe it. Well, <laughs> it's all right. We'll do more next hour. Long wind. We will. We will. And we've got another hour coming up. 877-548-3675 is the number. So we've done the mailbag. We've got a lot of lines full. But if you hear someone hang up, just give us a call. 877-548-3675. This is Open Line on Moody Radio. We'll be right back. Israel is constantly in the news, facing political, diplomatic, and even violent struggles. What does the future hold? Chosen People Ministries, one of our underwriters, and an organization reaching Jewish people with the good news all around the world, is offering a book, Israel's Glorious Future. Written by their past president, Harold Sevener, this book details God's faithfulness to his covenant promises made to Israel in the past and biblical prophecies yet to be fulfilled in the future. God's Word reveals that despite current difficulties, Israel's future is certain and glorious. If you'd like a free copy of the book, Israel's Glorious Future, just go to openlineradio.org. That's our website, openlineradio.org. Scroll down to the link that says, A Free Gift from Chosen People Ministries. Click on that, and you'll be taken to a page where you can sign up for your own free copy of Israel's Glorious Future. Welcome back to Open Line. I'm Mike Fabares. I'm sitting in for Dr. Michael Rydelnik, who's out speaking somewhere, and we are here answering your questions. And so we're so thankful for you calling in. Let's get back to our calls now. Dan, you're on the air from sunny Florida. I hope it's sunny at least. Welcome to the program with Mike Fabares. How can I help? Hello, Pastor Mike. Uh, thank you very much for pinch hitting for uh, uh, Brother Rydelnik. I appreciate that, sir. And, and also, welcome. you're a practicing pastor. So I am. That's, uh, that's right. helpful. Yes, practicing uh, all week long. Well, <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, sir, um, I'm having a difficulty in motivating people to find answers for themselves in the mm. Bible. Yes. Uh, I can point them to resources and all kinds of things, but I feel like all I'm doing is giving them fish instead of teaching them how to fish. And I was wondering if you could uh, advise me how to motivate people. Right. Well, here's... Here's the thing. I can sit on the program, and Dr. Rydelnik can sit on the program, and we can answer questions from the Bible all over the place because of our, our familiarity with the Bible. I mean, we're in it all the time. We love it. We've been through it, you know, countless times. So, you know, people can say, well, I, I can't do that. Well, we started doing that. We started to be able to learn to do that by just by reading the Bible, reading it from cover to cover over yeah. and over and over again. But if you want to be able to start 
getting into the Bible and finding the topics and themes, you're going to need topical Bibles. And by that, I mean a book that is going to help you say, where can I find this topic in the Bible? Now, you can buy a, con- you can buy a concordance, right? Or you can use your software and just search for words, but it's, it's more difficult than that. That's why there are certain books out there, usually have the word topical in it or themes in it, and those are the books that are going to help you the most. If you think about like Nelson's Topical Index or, or um, the, the New American Standard Topical Bible or Elwell's Topical Bible or, or one I like to use, the, the Bible Themes. I think Zondervan publishes that one by, by Martin Manser. These are books that are arranged by theme. And then they have all the cross-references, like the old Thompson Chain Reference Bible. They even, I even have that, the, the Thompson uh, thematic or, or, or subject um, Bible. It helps me, even when I ca- kind of can't remember, well, where where is that passage that, that speaks about the confirmation of wisdom or vows or, you know, something on oaths? Well, I know it's in there somewhere. Well, I, I may have to look at a passage that doesn't even use the word oath. So I need a, a, a thematic Bible. So I'm going to say, find a topical Bible, find one you trust. Uh, and, and if you don't know where to start, you know, uh, Tori's new topical Bible. Um, there's, a, there's a book sometimes I use called Where to Find It in the Bible. And it will help you find passages where the words itself may be varied. And I think that's important. The other thing I would do is whenever you read a Bible, if you have a reference Bible, that means you've probably got a column in the middle and it's got cross-references. Man, that's so great to go to those cross-references because they're not necessarily the same words. You can't just look up on your computer Bible, well, let's look for the word baptism here, or let's look for the word promise, right? The word promise may not be in the passage, but we need to find similar verses, and that's going to help us find our way around the Bible and answer our own questions, right? We won't have to always ask the guy on the radio. We can say, I can find it myself. It's in there. And so thematic Bibles, topical Bibles, I think that's a good way to start, and then just reading your Bible constantly is what you should do. You should read all your pumping gas, pull out your New Testament, start reading. Just read the Bible. So Uh important. Yeah. Does that help, Dan? Uh, yes, sir. Thank you, Pastor Favarez. I think uh, that was an excellent answer, and I, I love everybody. The staff is excellent, and I hope you have a blessed day, sir. Thank you very much. Thank you, Dan. Thank you so much. Let's run out to Jessica real quick. Jessica in Chattanooga, you're on with Mike Favarez. How can I help? Hi. You've already answered my question. I'm going to hang up and let um, someone else have the floor. Thank you. Oh, okay. That's that's good. I love answering the questions without even knowing I'm doing it. That's, that's fantastic. Well, we are so glad that you are listening to Open Line. Open Line is a program where you're normally going to hear Dr. Michael Rydelnik answering your questions. And Dr. Rydelnik is out speaking today, but I'm sitting in. Mike Fabares, I am the pastor of Compass Bible Church in Aliso Viejo, California. And that's just in the heart of South Orange County. I'm also the president of Compass Bible Institute. We've got a great gap year program for young people to come out and study the Bible. We've got a lot of other programs here. Uh, one thing we do on Focal Point is preach the Bible every day, and I might just want to mention we're taking a cruise to study the Bible. If you go to PastorMike.com, you can learn all about our cruise out of Seattle. We're going to go up to Alaska and enjoy the glory of God's creation. But today we're going to continue answering your questions. Open line is coming up on most of these stations for a full hour, another full hour, and we hope that's your station. Open line is a uh, production of the Moody Bible Institute. We have a great website, openlineradio.org. We just love doing what we're doing here today. We've got a great team and a great staff. So Open Line with Dr. Michael Rydelnik, don't forget, is a 
production of Moody Radio here in Chicago. It is a ministry of the Moody Bible Institute, which I hope is blessing and encouraging your life. So hang on with us. We'll be back after a little extended break here for another hour on Open Line. Open Line.